Hello and welcome to episode 70 of the Step Over Podcast. I am Jim Adair and with me as always is New Flyers mascot, Max Rappaport. Hey Jim. Hey, how's how's the mascoting going, Max? It's great. Um, yeah. My beard has never felt better. Perfect. You look fantastic in those pictures. Your eyes really brought out by the orange. Yeah, my lack of nose is uh, oh. definitely, definitely um, you know, normally a problem, but the, the eyes really draw attention away. And the beard. Yeah, really turned it really turned it into a strength, if I may say so. Yeah. And you're looking very slim these days as well. Thank you. Yeah. Anyway, we are here uh, on the the night of the now annual blue white scrimmage, and wow, what a scrimmage it was, Max. Yeah, so we, we made sure that we didn't record before the scrimmage like we were planning mm-hmm. on because we wanted right. to make sure we got our takes in and man did we watch that scrimmage and man was it good. It was really it was good. good. It's scrimmage. one of the better scrimmages I've ever watched. Uh, Markel yeah. Fultz, his jumper, wow. What a jumper. Yeah. Um, uh, when when Ben Simmons uh, dunked from the top of the key, that was crazy. Yeah, that that's an oddly yeah. specific thing to say. But yeah, Ben mm-hmm. Simmons was great. Uh, yeah. When Dario came out, that was really cool. Uh-huh. Um, there was Robert so many things. doing Covington things. Yeah, there were so many things that definitely happened. It was great. Yeah. That definitely happened in the scrimmage. That definitely happened tonight. And my, my favorite part was that the end, the final score didn't even really matter. Like we don't even have to talk about what the final score was because everyone was a winner because they're all Sixers. Yeah. No, I think the most important part of the entire game was that the floor was exceptionally dry. I was, you know, I was just gonna say that I really noticed. Yeah, it really stood out how dry the floor was and playable the court was. True, truly immaculate. Yeah, hand, people was touching it, their hands are dry. That's the most important part of the whole thing. Look how dry their hands are. It's crazy. Um, but, you know, outside of the scrimmage, which, again, was fantastic, uh, the Sixers got themselves a general manager, Max. They did. Uh, yes, yeah, so we, d- we decided to take two weeks off the pod. and uh, Yeah, you, every, were in, you were in Canada. I was in Canada for a little bit. Uh, uh-huh. I was at Charlie Widow's wedding. That was awesome. Yeah. Uh, saw some, mm-hmm. some great Sixers people there. Uh, and every single Sixers thing that could happen happened. Yeah, while I was gone. Yeah, I mean, here, so here's what happens when I am completely indisposed, like on an airplane. Uh, the Sixers trade Timothy Luau Cabarro. Here's what happens when Max is indisposed. They hire a GM, and we see Marco Fultz's jump shot. So you know, one of us is more important to the podcast. I think. Well, neither and of us should travel. I think Canada. Well, yeah, neither of us should travel, I think, is the right. real takeaway. Yeah. We had, like, a quick, quick chance to do a quick one when the EB thing happened, but I was just about to walk out. Then you were in Canada. Then I was traveling. Then you were also traveling. You just got back home yesterday, mm-hmm. correct? I did. I just got back home uh, Sunday after a long weekend. So, you know, I'm honestly shocked they didn't relocate the team while we were gone. Maybe that's the superpower. If we're both traveling, then nothing happens. If only one of us is traveling, then a lot of stuff happens. Yeah, you and I can never travel abroad together. I think the NBA is just no, going to fold entirely. Yeah. I wonder, my question is like, when I go out for your wedding next year, I think the NBA like will fold. It's like a, you know, it's like if you like time travel and you see your, your older self, like the, the world collapses upon itself. Mm-hmm. It's like a sip. It's like that kind of thing. What is a destination wedding, technically? Yeah. So we'll both be traveling. So we'll, we'll see what happens next July. 
Um, but with your butt, you'll already be there. Like while I'm traveling, you'll likely already be there. That's true. You know we'll what I mean? Yeah. We'll both be away from home, but only one of us will actually be traveling maybe, at a time. Maybe it'll be okay. Maybe. We'll have to find out. So, Jim, what do you think about the GM? I don't know, man. I'm, like, kind of talking myself in circles about it because it's not an exciting hire. And it's obviously not the worst thing they could have done. Obviously not the sexiest thing they could have done. But I think it's exactly what they were always going to do in a way. Um, they were never going to get Daryl Morey. They weren't going to, like, pry Sam Presti away, you know, something like that. They weren't going to get R.C. Buford. Uh, and once that was done, I think they kind of, you know, I'm not going to say they made up their minds and they were, like, sham interviews, you know, because, you know, that's just a waste of everybody's time and it's kind of insulting to the people you do interview. If you just, you know, like, blah, 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 that doesn't matter. Um, but I think they were always going to go internally in some way um, unless one of the outside candidates completely blew them away. Uh, and like shocked them, and it was like every, they answered every question the way they exactly wanted to be answered. Um, so I think you know, you know, they're always going to go inside. They kept stressing collaboration and and not kind of like you know upsetting the apple cart and like starting everything from scratch in the front office. So if you want to do that, it's usually good to call to bring somebody in from inside who's not going to bring people with them. Um, and when it comes to that, I mean, it's it's a little bit lip service, but a lot of people people can't stop saying how you know well-respected and player-friendly Elton Brand is. And if you're going to go for a GM that doesn't need to blow a team up, there's no reason to not go quote-unquote player-friendly. There is reason to go people who aren't just player-friendly. I don't want to give Elton Brand a slight. Um, I'm sure he could do a really good job. And the whole collaborative process is a good sign because if you know if you have faith in your front office and everyone works together, then it's not just like you know a dictator calling all the shots. Um but as I've been saying this whole time, I don't know why this didn't just happen three months ago. Yeah, I mean, the, the takeaway I guess I have is that, there, and the reason I think it didn't happen sooner was that they were really trying to get some of those marquee guys, like like Daryl Morey, uh, like R.C. Buford, and I think that was maybe wishful thinking that they could get one of those. But I think probably the plan was go for one of those like two or three or four guys you really want, and if you strike out on them... Um, you know, go to your number five, six, seven guys and see if they're willing to come in in this role where you, you know, in the ideal position, if they blow you away and they're willing to stick with the guys you have in the front office, because for whatever reason, you really feel strongly about that. Like, and then if, if that doesn't work out, you promote Elton Brand. Like, I guess I understand that. Um, I guess it, I'm, I'm happy they at least like tried to do something different before just, you know, I don't want to say settling on Elton Brand, but before they just promote, you know, they'd done this in July yeah. or not July in in uh, June, the, the month that the Colangelo stuff came down. Like that would have been a tougher sell. It's like you didn't even try to look for anyone else. Um, but I mean, was why couldn't they interview Elton Brand and interview Alex Rucker and interview Ned Cohen concurrently with reaching out to R.C. Buford and reaching out to Daryl Morey? I think they probably did that. I don't know what the timeline was for them getting turned down. And well, and then I think it took a while for whatever reason for them to like then move on to the, if you believe they were actually considering like Garrison Rosas and the other guys, uh, which I would have to think they were like, I don't think they would just bring them in for no reason. Um, just to, just to try to give an appearance of, of a GM search after I mean, they even trying to do that before. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, they did. They did obviously interview seventy-five guys before deciding on Brian Colangelo, son of Jerry. Which Colangelo. means this time they must have interviewed at least 
904. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that doesn't really make sense to me. I, I think they really were serious about looking at those other three guys um, at the end. And I think they probably just held out hoping they could get one of the big guys. Um, and when they didn't, they did their due diligence and, you know, interviewed a couple outside candidates. And um, I'm, I'm okay with it. I guess, like, I felt like when it happened, I didn't really have any strong opinion. I was shocked. I was, like, surprised that after all that, that's where they went. Um, and with someone with so little experience. But at the same time, I guess my feeling is that I'm just as happy with it being Elton Brand as I would have been with them promoting Ned Cohen or Alex Rucker or uh, Mark Eversley. You know, like, I guess I'm happier that it's that it's Elton Brand than, than those guys, or I, I guess I would have felt pretty much the same way about those guys, except I, I do have, like, an emotional attachment to Elton Brand that I didn't have um, to, like, Mark Eversley, for example. Um, but I, I think my takeaway is maybe, like, if you're keeping the same front office that you had before, how much worse should I feel about Elton Brand than Brian Colangelo being in that exact same role? And that's basically what you have now. It's like you've removed Jerry Colangelo and Brian Colangelo. You've added uh, Elton Brand in a higher position and a few new scouts. And that's kind of where you're at this year versus last year. And I guess if you put it that way, I feel okay with it. Um, right. I thought it was an opportunity when they when they um, fired Brian Colangelo or he resigned or whatever you want to say uh, for them to go out and get someone. And I really thought they'd be able to do that. Um, yeah. But if for whatever reason they didn't feel like they had the right guy, like I'm, I'd rather stick with Elton Brand or Mark Eversley or, you know, whoever else than make the wrong hire and make a bunch of changes. Right. I mean, plus it seems to me that, you know, in the time between Colangelo's ousting and now pretty much everyone that they considered, internally for the gig got promoted to a new position right mm -hmm. uh alex rucker i think was promoted twice actually yeah uh ned, ned Cohen was promoted mark always i believe was promoted so to me that seems more to like so say the organizational structure is uh like a triangle right pyramid if you will mm -hmm. if, if you, you you probably don't want to say three, a pyramid three-dimensional three folks yeah uh, so then say the very top of that was Brian Colangelo and it has, you know, your standard pyramid shape. I think now with Elton Brand up there and everyone else kind of pushed up, uh, it's just got a much stubbier top. It's kind of plateau-y. You still got the guy at the top, but I think there's a lot smaller gap between him and the guys under him than there was before. It's just my read. I, I agree. I think you're, you're totally right about that. I think you're going to see, uh, definitely Alex Rucker. I mean, he's like basically the number two guy now. I think you're going to see him. Uh, Cohen and Eversley and Brett Brown, like I just think, are all going to have much more of a say than they had before. Um, yeah. And I don't know how much I, I, I think, especially in the case of Brett Brown, I'm, I'm happy about that. Like I think that's, I think that's fine. Uh, I yeah. think, I think Brian Colangelo, like I think I was higher on Colangelo than most um, mm -hmm. the last two years, but I also don't think he's done an exceptional job in any sense. Like he's been fine, um, but I, I don't think. Uh, I'm not concerned, I guess, about the brand at all group, but like I, I think uh, I was feeling worse and worse about Colangelo leading into the whole Burnergate thing. So I, I think I'm okay with this moving forward. And I also think, um, you know, there was a real, it's a pretty obvious, I thought, effort by the Sixers in their search and in the kind of guys they looked for and in keeping the front office together beyond. Um, Colangelo that and promoting Brett Brown into that position on an interim basis. There was a real effort to like 
showed players on the team and, and around the league that like, hey, we're moving on from the Colangelo thing, and you can trust who our GM. Right. Is. And I think Elton Brand is like sure. that's like the most valuable thing is that he literally played on the team two years ago and mm-hmm. is respected and um, you know probably trusted by guys like Markel Fultz and Joel Embiid who were like had shit talked about them on Twitter by the last GM. Like I do think hiring someone who they'll trust rather than um, like the other collars guy uh, from the Warriors. Like I I just think it's probably a, you know, Joel Embiid enters on day one with that GM with a lot of trust that he wouldn't have for some outside hire. And I think that's important right now as you're trying to like, put this together and get guys to stay long-term and all that. Yeah. I I saw some early takes after the EB hire when people were very mad online, uh, saying that he's not an analytics guy. Um, but like, we just discussed, yeah, true. But also let's just like, we've just discussed that Alex Rucker is basically, it seems to be like second in command now Mm -hmm. and he's the analytics guy. So I don't think that should be a concern of anybody. And also, it doesn't seem like anybody buys into the analytics, could possibly buy into it more than Brett Brown does when it comes to informing coaching decisions. So I don't think that's necessarily going to be a problem. Yeah, I agree with that. I I think I'm... I feel like Elden Brand is going to be one of the less powerful GMs in the league in the sense that um, him and Brown are going to seemingly kind of share final say in whatever way um, along with the owners. And I think, like you said, Rucker and Cohen and Eversley are going to have a lot more say than they would have had in the past. I think that's fine. And and Brett Brown will. And I think that's fine. Um, I guess I guess I don't have a lot of strong takes. It's like hard to have a lot of takes about someone who was playing basketball two years ago, who's now your GM. Um, I will say right. I don't I don't look at it the same way I would have looked at like um, I don't have a Sixers player in mind, but like the way the Vlade hire was in Sacramento right. felt like a this is one of our franchise's greatest players, and we're just gonna like put him in this position. Elden Brand is like way sharper than Vlade, and also like um, seemingly was getting like legit. I mean, he was considered for an assistant GM job with the Hawks, and I think around the league has been seen as a bit of an up-and-comer in the same way um, that, like, Grant Hill and these other kind of... Or is it Grant Hill? Is that who I'm thinking of? Who, who is it with the Suns now? Is it... Um, it's not Grant Hill. It's someone else who... Uh, oh, I don't know who you're talking about. He retired, like, two years ago, and now he's, like, the assistant GM of the Suns. Um, but I think you have former players who... Uh, get a reputation as like, oh, when this mm-hmm. guy retires, he's going to like do right. things either in a front office setting or in coaching. And I think Elton Brand's been one of those guys for a while. And like Vlade, I don't think was that. That was more of a like, in the same vein as like getting Shaq to be a part owner of the team was more PR and like uh, a hearkening back to the good old days. And I don't even think Elton Brand is that for the Sixers. Like quite honestly, Elton Brand's tenure with the Sixers is not like, at all the good old days like i don't think people even no. looked at him positively until his second stint with the team in a lot yeah of this is the, this isn't hiring alan iverson as a gm yeah it's not hiring alan iverson and i don't think you're going to see anything like that where they bring back um you know whoever from from years past and, and try to sell that like it doesn't it doesn't feel like that to me it feels like um an opportunity to have someone who was already on on staff who players trusted who you know and I think I think the reality is that I wouldn't say that Elton Brand has a short leash, but I think the reality is this front office group's been in place for two years. 
Uh, Brett Brown's been here for a while now. Uh, Elden Brand's been here for two years. And I think maybe there's a sense of like, okay, let's see what Elden Brand can do. And um, yeah. it makes moving on from that easier than if you go out and you hire uh, Zarin from the uh, the assistant GM with the Celtics and he brings in all his own guys. And now you're kind of committing to that for at least like five or six years. And I think that's right. not that's really true. what's happening here. That's true. Yeah, because I mean, that's why I mean, it is, it is a unique circumstance because teams that are in this kind of position and in the kind of shape they're in usually don't lose their GMs because they don't get fired for tweeting. Uh, so when usually when someone hires an outside candidate, they bring a whole new regime and it's totally fine and expected because it's what you do when your team is so bad you had to fire the GM. So it is a very unique circumstance where doing this and not wanting to do the entire turnout of the whole front office makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I don't know if I have a lot more to say about it than that. Um, but yeah, I think I think at first I was I, I think I've like come around on it in a way that I inevitably do because I'm a homer, um, and I come around on everything the team does, including Brian Colangelo. Uh, yeah. But that said, I feel great about this now after a week of letting it simmer. I feel perfectly like neutral about it, honestly. Also, I'm looking at the Suns front office list, and I must be thinking about someone else because I have no idea uh, who I had in my mind as this other person. So maybe I'm just making up things to make myself feel better about it. Maybe. Did you imagine oh, that Adonis Haslam retired and then he's in the Heat front office? That would be that would be amazing. It's similarly, it's James Jones is actually oh yeah he's okay. the VP yeah, of basketball operations sense. number number two in command under McDonough, who amazingly still has a job. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Udonis has um, has a spot in the front office and on the bench at the same time at some point in his career, probably like next year. Yeah, I, he he's the next like Elden Brand guy who just kind of yeah, yeah, sticks yeah, around in sure. that role. I'm Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation, and I invite you, gentle listener, to join us for the best analysis of the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles in the business. BGN Radio provides you with the most informative preview shows, and the Kist and Solak show dives deep into all the scheme and X and O details you could ever want. Plus discussions with the industry's brightest minds, including former NFL players and press conferences from the Eagles coaching staff to keep you up to date and informed every step of the way. Subscribe to Bleeding Green Nation today. Fly, Eagles, fly. Um, should we talk about Markel Fultz's jumper? Oh man, how much have we seen of that jumper at tonight's scrimmage? Man, it was it was really something. Do you oh, want to do you want to so many... do you want to exclusively talk about what we've seen prior to tonight, though? I guess so. Yeah. So, um, last week, this is the thing we talked about. Obviously, a topic we talked about a lot, but specifically the lack of a video. What we've... We have never discussed Markel Fultz's jump shot on this podcast. No, that is. But we know. did. We did discuss the lack of video la- last time, and yeah. my take at the time was like, okay, if they're not showing his video, there's a reason. They're hoping it's going to come together, and and if it had come together, and he was like looking like Steph Curry, they'd be showing it to us. Um, my take is like, I guess after seeing the video that came out last week on the Players' Tribune and now a bit of practice uh, footage and game footage, of course, from the scrimmage tonight that we're not going to talk about, um, you know, I, I guess I feel like it's kind of two things. I feel like I was partially right in that um, I'm going to say that I'm wrong, but sell it that I'm right still. Um, so I do kind of feel like they were holding it off because it didn't look perfect, right? Like, I, I think 
his sure. form still has some issues. Um, he doesn't look like I think people were expecting he was going to come back and look like Ray Allen and just have this like flawless these flawless mechanics that are repeatable every time and look perfect. And that's not that it's way better than last year. And honestly, I think it's probably better than it was in summer league last year and maybe even better than it was originally. Just if I'm just looking at the form and the potential to get, to make it better and more consistent, I think his form in college kind of sucked, but it worked. So it was fine. Um, but the part where I guess I, I think, um, I was maybe a little bit wrong is that I think it looks good enough. And I think the fact that it looks good enough and that they um, held off on on showing it is a little weird to me. Um, I guess I guess I feel like um, maybe some of my concerns weren't valid because I, I think if they put that out a month ago, I'd be like, wow, it looks awesome. And that was kind of my take was like my takeaway watching it was, OK, this isn't like, you know, the best, best, best case where he's like, his form's completely remade and it looks perfect, but it's like, this is fine. If I saw any other player shooting like this, I wouldn't think anything of it. And there are plenty of good shooters in the league, James Harden being one of them, Steph Curry honestly being another, who shoot it like not perfectly and it works right. and it's fine. And I think yeah. Marco, Marco Fultz's jumper now is that. It's like, it's totally workable and it's, and it's better than what it was before. And obviously yeah. there are some issues, but like every basically every player in the league has those kind of issues with their jumper. If you really break it down. Yeah. Uh, Al Horford shoots weird. I just want to throw that out there. He shoots really weird. Yeah. Um, my whole take on this the entire time, Max, as you have heard me say zero times, we've never discussed this in the podcast before is that I didn't care to see footage at all until preseason or regular season because it doesn't matter what happens on a video in a gym. If it's not replicatable, or doable in an NBA basketball game. Remember when Nick Stauskas made like 100 threes in a row in a video in someone's backyard? Yeah. Did he do that in the NBA? I still believe it. Yeah. So it's coming one of these years. I don't. Yeah, I don't. That's why I didn't really care about seeing this. It's it's still hype. It's still talk. It's still this. It's still that. And not to diminish the progress he's made, it does look much better. But it doesn't matter unless you can make the shots in the game. And we won't see that. You know, barring tonight's scrimmage, of course, outside of the scrimmage, duh. Uh, we don't see that against competition, really, until, I don't know, I mean, they're playing the Melbourne Tigers on Friday. So, is that quote-unquote competition? Sure, they're professional basketball players, but not really until the regular season uh, against Boston on opening night against a tough defensive squad are you going to see what actually happens. And it's, like, I think people have said before, it's less important about if it goes in, if it's just confidence taking it, and that is true, especially on night one. But eventually, they're going to have to start going in, and he's going to have to just let them fly. You got to have both of those things. Um, and you know, also we've only seen like catch a bounce pass, step into it, shoot it, and we saw like one dribbling pull up in a practice footage. So like that is far from someone's complete game, and and I don't think that. Like, yeah, it's it's great. It looks a lot better than it was before. I'm very happy for it. He earned that. He put all that work in. I'm excited to see what he does this year. I'm not I'm not diminishing his work in any way. But the reason I didn't want to see it until it was in a game is because it doesn't matter until it's in a game. Yeah. I mean, I was curious. 
I was curious, and I feel like it would have made me feel better had I just seen this earlier and not worried that, like, oh, it still is a hitch, which it doesn't really. It just isn't, like, perfect, but it's it's totally right. fine. I mean, his shot before had a hitch, and we never even thought of anything about it because he shot, like, 42% in college. Um, yeah. Well, I remember saying to you, we were asked before the draft, before that draft, someone asked us a question, uh... Essentially, well, you probably should have answered yes, but I think we both answered no, uh, which is if you draft Lonzo Ball, do you immediately try to fix his shot? And we both answered no because it doesn't matter how it looks if it goes in. Turns out it's not going in that much in the pros. We'll see what happens this year. But I don't think without any evidence of it being broken or not going anymore, you change it because it can look as ugly as it looks. As long as it goes in, it doesn't matter. People have plenty of funky shots, plenty of weird shots, plenty of little idiosyncrasies. As long as it goes in, it don't matter. Uh, and anybody will tell you that. So that is, you know, as long as you're not hurting yourself too. Um, but so that's the thing too. It's like I don't – we've seen it go in in practice footage, you know. Who knows, even with that hitch in the shot, if he was in a, a gym like Hanlon's uh, and not in a gym like the six practices they do with media around – who knows if he was still? He would probably. You might have been making them then with no eyes on him. I don't know that. We don't know that. So, you know, again, I don't want to diminish the work he's done. He's done a great job. I really hope it pays off for him in the long run and in the NBA. But I'm not going to get crazy excited about it until it works in a game. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think it's. I think it'll also look different. Like even in that scrimmage, um, or not scrimmage, the the practice highlights that we saw. Um, you saw yeah, and, him, and the free throw as well. Yeah, and you see him pull up, and it and it's like it, it's a little bit of like a floater. It's not like a pure jump shot, but he pulls in, it, drives in, and like pulls up off a pick and roll, and it doesn't look like any of the jumpers you saw, the three pointers that you saw in the video. Right. Um, it went in, and it looked fine, and the yeah. and the free throws have looked fine, different a little bit uh, than his three pointer, which is like normal. But uh, um, yeah, I think we're it, it'll. It, you'll see it when he's actually taking a contested shot off the off the dribble, is like, right. or or catch and shoot in the corner. Like that's when you'll really know. Yeah, and it's also gonna be interesting to see how the offense works, right? Because whether defenses respect his ability to shoot or not changes a lot about how the offense is going to work. Um, Sixers don't run pick and rolls all that often. Uh, like they're like bottom five or six in the league at that. Um, and if Markel's not an immediate like threat to just like pull up a three-pointer, I think you might have to see some pick and rolls more often with him as the ball handler just to get him into the lane more. Uh, so it's not just, you know, and then, you know, off the, off the ball movement frame is very important as well. And, uh, you know, but I think, you know, using like a him and beat or even like a him Simmons uh, pick and roll or like a pick and pop could be, something that you, you know didn't see the Sixers do a ton of before at least until they start respecting that shot more and then you know you can kind of go into the same offense you've been doing before which worked really well last year for the personnel that was on the floor um, but I think it's going to be very interesting to see how that all works because I mean you can look at it now if you know you're going in operating that Markel is Markel then this is does, this doesn't matter but if you're going in operating that Markel is somewhere between the Markel of college and the Markel of last year and him and Simmons on the floor at the same time, which did happen last year, but not a ton. Uh, then you're going to run. You're basically running a set with two guard ball handlers who aren't a threat to shoot the ball, and that you know 
gives the defense a, a good heads up on what is and isn't going to happen on the play. So it'll be very interesting to see how that happens and how that all works out. You know, I have faith in Brad. It seems to really, you know, when the season start, you need to find your footing in this and that. But he seems to be like pretty good at finding ways to make his offenses work the most efficiently for the guys on the floor. Um, but it'll be very interesting to see. I'm not saying it looks like it's going to be bad. I just want to see. I'm very interested to see like what is thrown out there. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I think um, I'm feeling less, I'm definitely feeling less confident about Ben Simmons making any improvements to his jumper. I feel like that, that has just not happened. Maybe his free throw, his free throw looks better, but I don't, from everything he said, from what Brett Brown said, like I just get the sense that's not really been a focus at all this summer. Um, mm-hmm. Or very little of his focus, which I think we talked about, and like I, I think we both kind of identified like finishing and free throws being way more important than him finding a sixteen foot jumper. Um, yeah, I mean, if yeah, if you had to choose one of those two, then yeah, yeah. Um, I do, I do think that I think it can work if Fultz is even like um, not this level of player, certainly. But if you think about like the way Dwayne Wade was a scorer, right? Like a, a mid range shooter. Not much of a three-point shooter unless he's open, and even then, like, whatever. Not much of a catch-and-shoot right. guy, but can pull up from 16, 17, 18 feet um, and also take you to the rim, and that's more of his game. And he uses the jumper to set up getting inside and getting to the rim. Like, I think that's kind of what Fult- what Fultz is going to be this year. And I think that can still sure. work even with a non-shooter yeah. in Simmons playing off ball sometimes. But um, I feel confident from what I've seen that it's not going to be worse than that. Like it's not going to be something where he just it doesn't shoot like he did last last year, where he he literally wouldn't take like a fifteen footer if he was open. Right. Um, yeah. I don't think we're going to get that. I do think that he's probably not going to take that many threes this year. That that seems to be just from what we've seen. Like that's that's maybe like the downside. Like you know the the hope was that he'd come in with this like perfect form and also just be like splashing them. And I just don't think that's what it is. I think it's like okay, he's not a complete non shooter. He's not Rondo anymore. Like early right. Rondo he's yeah. um maybe he's like MCW as a as a shooter at least just like you know can make a mid-range shot but you're not gonna like he'll take some threes but it's not that's not what he's trying to do that would be like right, yeah. medium to like bad case from what we've seen so far would be if that was this season for him yeah I mean there's there's a lot kind of you know to look at there uh just you know just to to while you said that um in his two seasons, well, not two full seasons, 111 games as a 76er, how many three-pointers do you think Mark uh, Carter-Williams attempted per game on average? It's actually, I think, kind of high. I'm going to say like 3.3. 3.0. Wow. That was good. S- since then, in two seasons in Milwaukee, 1.1. One season in uh, 52 games in Charlotte, 1.1. Uh, 45 games to Chicago, 1.4. That seems more appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but I, th- I think Fultz, honestly, like, um, somebody texted me before the game and uh, for the scrimmage that we definitely watched um, yep. and asked me um, over under one and a half attempted threes for Markel Fultz. And I said under. Um, not because I think That's he's right. never going to take any threes, but I think like one. I would see him, if he plays 25 minutes in a game, I would expect two threes at most, maybe three. Yeah, um, Yeah, I'd say. Like, I just don't think that's going to be a focus for him this year. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I mean, let's take a... I mean, 
you know, but that's, this is a different example. But Justin Anderson played 13.7 minutes a game last year and attempted 2.7 per game. He's not going to be firing it off at Justin Anderson levels. I like that Justin Anderson is the three-point shooter you think of. Who comes to mind? Well, I was like, I was looking I was looking in that like t- like low twos, low to mid twos range, and it's my options below Justin Anderson are James Michael McAdoo, James Young, Furkan Korkmaz, and Larry Drew. So, well, you know who I'm who I'm thinking of. I don't know why I haven't mentioned him um, as a as a comp in terms of this this aspect of his game is TJ McConnell. Like it, it it's kind of I'm imagining it being more like what TJ McConnell's been. Like last year, he took just under one three a game. Um, yeah. in 23 minutes, 22 minutes, mm-hmm. like, and, but he doesn't feel like TJ will never shoot a three. Like if he's wide open, he'll shoot one. Um, right. and maybe Fultz will do more than that. Maybe he'll surprise us and, uh, be more capable of catching and shooting or shooting off the dribble. Cause uh, shooting off the dribble from three was a big part of his game in college. Like maybe that'll come back right away. Um, yeah, but obviously they're very different players in that. Fultz is a much, much better scorer in addition to all the other things he can do. But, like, um, I think you can still get by. Like, like TJ McConnell is a good shooter from everywhere inside 18 feet. It's just he doesn't right. take threes. And that, that might be what we get from Fultz this year, and I think that's okay. Yeah, I think that's fine. I don't, I mean, think, he'll be, I don't not... think he'll be Simmons and not take a single three, but I think he might be more like TJ and he takes 60 or 70 or 100 this year. 62. Um, so do you want to talk? I, I think, I don't know how much more I have to say about Marco Fultz's jumper. I think we're planning, so we're going to talk about this, but I think at this point now that the, the season is basically back in swing and we're reaching yeah. October, I think we're going to, we're going to do a pod every week. Um, yep. It'll probably be middle of the week. So like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, and then we'll kind of, fill the rest in with like emergency pods and whatever else comes up. Um, but we are planning on doing one over the weekend after their first preseason game. So I think we'll get a better sense after that. Hey everybody. How you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of fun and games for broad street hockey radio podcasts. And I am Kelly, the deputy managing editor of BroadStreetHockey.com. I'm Steph driver, the NHL editorial manager for SB nation. And I am Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer for TheAthletic.com. And together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-Flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team of Flyers. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of what's in store, but, um, and that's kind of all we have until then. But um, I do want to talk about Jimmy Butler because that's been a big point of conversation in Sixers land the last week, week and a half, even even earlier in the summer. Um, now it seems pretty obvious that he's going to get moved. Um, the owner's getting involved in Minnesota, like really pushing a trade. Um it seems like they're in a pretty weak position in terms of leverage. Uh, yeah. Like they just re-signed Carl Anthony Towns, who apparently hates him. Um, Jimmy Butler doesn't, but didn't show up to media day. doesn't want to be there at all. Like has one year left on his deal. I think he might go for pretty cheap. Um, at the same time, I have no interest at all in anything. Yeah. In terms of Jimmy Butler. Yeah. I feel the same way. 
So I think I think what really cemented it for me, and I already felt this way, but I think I think it was J.E. Skeets from the Starters tweeted this this morning. Um, I thought it was so accurate and it like perfectly encapsulated why I don't want Jimmy Butler. Um, he compared him to Blake Griffin, said like the, like Jimmy Butler might be like the the new Blake Griffin in that um, he has this injury, he's kind of worn down. Um, he gets signed to this monster deal because he's still really good. Or maybe Alden Brand isn't even a bad comp, but I think he was more far gone when the Sixers got him than Blake right. Griffin is now. Like, like Jimmy Butler is still going to be a good player next year. He'll probably be a good player for the length of his next five-year contract or four-year contract. I just think the money he's going to make, like, if the Sixers get him, um, he's eligible for a five-year $190 million deal. And I just right. don't think he's going to live up to that contract. I just think it's really impossible for me to imagine that happening um and he was awesome last year and he's been really good for a few years now but coming off a meniscus injury he's already played so many minutes under under Thibodeau he's almost 30 like it just seems like the absolute worst thing the Sixers could do is like hitch their wagon to someone making 38 million dollars a year or 40 million dollars a year um who might just be like Sixers Iguodala level and that's exactly what right. what haunted them through all those years was paying Elton Brand and Iguodala all that money. I just don't want to see that happen again. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's, I don't want to see because he's had a lot of, a lot of years on them on them joints already, from being run ragged by Tom Thibodeau. Uh, he was due a lot of money. The attitude thing I'm I'm kind of up in the air about because a lot of times I feel like calling people a locker room cancer or whatever is like uh, a bit more of a trope than it is a reality in a lot of the cases. Because um, also what you're, what you're saying when you say that is basically that that one personality is strong enough to just ruin the personalities of 16 others, which is not really often the case. Um, but there's something about the whole, I mean... There's just this report that just came out on Bleacher Report. Uh, well, this is for, from John Krasinski of the Athletic. <clears throat> um, after the T-Wolves' first round loss to the Houston Rockets, rather than fly with the team back to Minnesota, Jimmy Butler instead went to Los Angeles. He also refused to complete a medical examination, usually part of exit interviews. Like, that's not... Like, yeah, okay, your season's over, cool. You fly home with the team. You don't be like, all right, I'll see you guys in a couple months. I'm going to L.A. Like, that's just like... It doesn't seem, and it was like, yeah, if you want out, you want out. It doesn't mean to be the same way here, but like that's just a really bad look. The refusing to complete the medical exam is also a bad look considering his injury history. So that raises a flag as well. Um, the question becomes then too is if there are lingering injury things, if you know this or that happens, then like will he actually cost that? Um, that I don't know, and there's like way too much up in the air about that, and I just don't want to take the chance on, you know, kind of stalling the future out for a really good player who is probably, like, what, a tier... if You know, if you're talking, like, each tier of, like, top players in the league is, like, three to four players, right? He's, what, tier four? Say, say like, he's not a top tier. How do you, how do you uh, consider the tiers you're saying? I'm not getting like you know three or four players are a tier. So like tier one is like the top three players. Tier two is like you know round up the top ten or whatever. But like he's not a top ten player. 
He's like a top. He's at best like the 13, 14, 15 best player, and at yeah. worst, he's like a top borderline top fifty player. If the injuries are a problem, I just think yeah, right. it's. Um, I think I think almost certainly, if, even like best case scenario, he's not the best player on your team, and and probably he's the third best player on your team with with Simmons right. and Embiid, and assuming they continue to develop. Like I think no matter what, he's he's worse than Embiid, and I think Simmons is going to get there pretty soon. Um, if Simmons, I think also just Simmons for, might as, even be better a, this year than, than he is. I just, I just feel like it's not. It's a lot of money to pay someone who's not. You know. He's not that guy. And Clay Thompson is like a better version of that who also doesn't have injuries, who's also a shooter. That's like the other thing is the fit isn't great um, other than being a good defender. Like I don't think the way he scores is like super helpful for the Sixers. So it's like all those things considered, I just feel like it doesn't make sense to me to, to bring in a guy who's not a, a true like super duper star and also isn't a great fit and for a lot of money. Yeah. I just feel like... I don't know. It's like there's just so much about it, but I just think if there's going to be the guy that you you were to do give that all that money to and take that risk on, I just don't think he's that guy. You know. Yeah. And I don't. I think is if you were to bring him in here, you know, say even if you got him for like you know little to nothing and then you sign him, whatever. I think like from day one, Jimmy Butler coming in here is like you're you're like in the back of your head, you're waiting for something to happen whether it be an injury a locker room problem whatever i think in the back of your head like you're like thinking the entire time like something's gonna fuck up it's you know? it's kind of what so jimmy butler to me and i said it in the Iguodala thing and the brand thing i alluded to this it's kind of what we always through like all the pre-process stuff we're like hoping that someone like jimmy butler would become available in the Sixers would trade for him it's like it's like buying yeah. too it's like it's like, yeah, if everything, if the stars align and they stay healthy or they continue to get better or they get a jump shot, then it, then it's going to be awesome and then maybe we can compete. Like, I don't think we need to do that. Like, we don't need to take a, to roll the dice on Jimmy Butler. That's like a pre-process thing. That's like a, you don't really have many avenues to get better. Uh, so why not take a flyer on Jimmy Butler? Maybe it'll work out like they did with Bynum. Like, I just don't think that's where they're at. Like, they have two players who are, uh, one in Embiid and, and two in Simmons who will be better than him and you have all this right. money to spend next summer and even if you don't spend the money like I just think the worst thing you can do is is put yourself in a position where you now can't pay Sharich and Fultz and whoever else you know where you have to make some tough decision because you're paying Jimmy Butler all this money or where you have to give up something in three years to dump him or or just right, yeah. get rid of him for nothing like I just don't want to I'm not. I don't trust Jimmy Butler enough to do that. Um, yeah, I had yeah. a nice long chuckle when it was reported with the three teams he like specifically mentioned. Uh, where I had a nice long guffaw. I'm like, oh, the two New York teams and the worst LA team. But like, you know, looking back on it, like that that might be the move. That those are the teams. Those are like the pre-process. Sixers or the early stage of process Sixers with like one guy they want to look for like you know you got Porzingis in, in New York and you hope he's healthy long term he's your one Butler will be your two right in Brooklyn you got some young guys you're gonna have a ton of cap space Butler will be your one and you go out and you get your two and your three with your money the Clippers Steve Ballmer can just do whatever he wants to do it doesn't matter but he would be like your one guy there right so those are really like the best options I think like looking back on it even though I had a nice laugh about it just because you don't expect him to be like 
any player, like, I demand a trade to these three mediocre basketball teams. Uh, but I think he's right. I think he's being smart about that, and that's where he should end up, one of those three places. But I think, like, with the Knicks, it makes sense, too, because they, they trade for him, and they bring him back, and then you hopefully get Kyrie there. Like, there's been a lot of talk about Butler and Kyrie kind of being uh, two guys who want to go to the Knicks together. You have Porzingis. Like, it, that makes sense. And you have Knox and these right. other young players and picks and stuff to work with. Like, and I don't think Jimmy Butler is going to cost a lot to get him. So giving giving it up now so that you can give yourself a better chance of retaining him next year like makes some sense given right. the amount of money more he can make if he stays with his hometown team, whoever that is. Um, I think for the Sixers, it just doesn't make sense. Like it's just not Jimmy Butler is not better than what they're going to have available next year to the extent where you need to like hit your wagon to him and um, trust that he's going to be healthy and continue to play at a high level and all those things. And I, I just... I also don't know what I'd be willing to give up. Like, sure, I'd take him on one year for, like, basically nothing. Like, I'd give up Landry Shamit and a future protected pick or something, but they're not going to want that. They're going to want, like, Covington and Zaire Smith. Um, right. And, uh, like, that's that's not what I want to do. And I definitely don't want to give up no. anything more than that of value. I'm definitely not giving up anyone who I anticipate playing major minutes this year other than, you know, and not other than Covington, because I don't want to give Covington, but I think that would be like the kind of player you would expect to trade in that kind of deal, and I just don't think that's worth mm-hmm. it. I'd rather have Covington on, on $10 million and a chance to yeah. sign other players or trade for other players than just Jimmy Butler for the next five years. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, I don't know if there's a lot else. We'll, we'll be back this weekend after the first preseason game, and... Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, see, see, I, I think it, that's going to be really illuminating about a lot of this stuff with with Fultz and how they're going to use him and Simmons, and um, I think we'll just get a better sense of of all of that um, after this first game. Yeah, those 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 crafty Melbourne Tigers, man. <laughs> yeah, that that is, I guess, that's one thing. I fortunately, it, unlike with Embiid's debut preseason debut or like Simmons, um, the quality of of uh, opponent doesn't really matter for the Fultz stuff. It's like, I don't care who's defending him. I just want to see him shoot. Um, so it's not it's not as meaningless, I guess, as it would have been if, like, Embiid's first preseason game was against, you know, a, a Chinese basketball team or against, you know, one of these Australian teams. Like, I'm, I'm still very much looking forward to seeing how Fultz looks. Yeah. Very much so. Alright, you got anything else? Uh, yeah, Casper Ware is on the Melbourne Tigers, I think. I think you're right, actually. Yeah. I think he definitely is. Former process sixer coming home, baby. All right, well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, we'll be back soon, and look out for the podcast middle of the week, every week from here on out. Yep. All right, see ya.